Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is a podcast for sustainable fashion conversations. Whether you're a consumer or a sustainable fashion brand owner, we have a lot of resources just for you. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you and equip you with the knowledge to help right the harmful fashion industry. Without any further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back. In today's episode, I'm joined by Deanna Cook, the founder and designer of Leah Collective. Deanna is planning a pre-sale launch of her upcoming silk scarves, and so we talked a little bit about all the -the behind-the-scenes work it took to get here. She also talks about launching in these unprecedented times. And then last but not least, she also has a lot of other valuable advice for slow fashion brand owners as well as conscious clothing consumers. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, Deanna. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me here. I'm super excited. Um, I feel like we have been in talks for like a few months now, and I remember back then you were just thinking about launching, so it's really exciting that your upcoming launch is coming up soon. Yeah, it's been a long time coming and it's a bit challenging timing, of course, but I am still excited to, you know, put it out into the world. Totally. And before we get into all of that, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got started with Leah Collective? Absolutely. So my name is Deanna Cook. I'm originally from the Toronto area and I went to school to study international business and international development. During school, I had the chance to study abroad in Spain and that really sparked my interest and my love for travel and for working and seeing other parts of the world. So after graduation, I moved to Taiwan where I worked in schools for two years, but I wanted uh, to have a role that was less in front of the classroom and more behind the scenes, create an impact. Um, So I moved to Tanzania where I worked in marketing and fundraising with a grassroots nonprofit there and a couple of sustainable businesses. And that was a really, really transformative experience. It was challenging in so many different ways, but it definitely built character and made me the person I am. And following my years in Tanzania, I had the opportunity to move to Bangkok. So in Thailand, I was working on an international development project with USAID in employability and education, tech there. Um, And following my position in Bangkok, I moved to Costa Rica, where I started freelancing and supporting businesses and brands with their marketing efforts remotely. Now, alongside all of this career growth, I was also experiencing a lot of personal developments. um, And this was things that I was learning and ways that I was transforming how I shopped and how I dressed and what products I put in and on and around my body. And something that I really dove into in my personal life was sustainable fashion. And I just wanted to learn so much about it. And having the experience of working 
in all of these different countries around the world really gave me different perspectives of seeing, all right, where do our clothes end up after we donate them? Or where are some of our clothes made if they're not made in Canada or the United States? So it really kind of gave me this diverse outlook on what the global fashion industry currently looks like and how we can move towards a more sustainable fashion industry. So the idea for Leah Collective kind of came out of the marriage of, you know, what was going on in my personal life as well as my career development. I was really passionate about using business as a tool to create change about social enterprise and sustainability and supply chains and kind of exploring what that might look like in the future. So in my life abroad, um, I started learning about developments and, and traditions in the local community. So for example, when I was in Thailand, I was learning all about the industry of Thai silk, which has been a huge employer and a huge cultural part of, of Thai history and, and tradition for millennia. So that was how the first collection of Leah was born. It was kind of me just feeling that, you know, we have the power to shape what the industry looks like in the future, and we can do so through partnerships, through action, and kind of using my experiences and my journey working and living abroad to make connections, to build a supply chain that I can stand behind and be proud of and to create products that, you know, represent what I envision a, a more sustainable fashion industry would look like. Wow, that's so awesome. And I know that you've lived all over, but I didn't realize it was so many different places. So that's really, really cool. Maybe we can touch on that towards the end of the episode, just around like travel and tips like that. As you were moving around and working different jobs, was being an entrepreneur and running your brand always kind of the end goal? Or was it just more kind of like you were talking about seeing the different supply chains, seeing what's going on in the world that really sparked you to want to make a difference? Well, that's a good question. And it, I think for me, it's something that happened slowly. It evolved as opposed to being a single aha moment. And first of all, I never envisioned myself as an entrepreneur, really. I, I always uh, envisioned that I would do something to create impact in the world, but I thought that might be more in the nonprofit space or in government or in the legal sphere. And I never thought it would be through starting my own business. But it was really, you know, after working for different businesses, different brands, having different bosses, and kind of realizing that I wanted to step out and do something on my own. And I uh, could imagine a new way of doing things that I wasn't getting in my, you know, day to day job. Um, so it kind of evolved slowly. And like I said, I never thought that I would end up with my own business. If anything, I would have thought that I would have started a nonprofit. But I think this is 
the really beautiful thing about the business world in the past couple of years. Before, CSR programs were just a tiny department at large corporations that was, you know, more of a publicity stunt than anything um, to get some good PR for the company. But now businesses, you know, have to care about the impact they're making about what they're doing in the world. And that shift, I think, is, is really powerful. And it's something that I felt with my background, my experiences that I could be at the forefront of. Yeah, totally. I 100% agree with you. And it's such a cool and amazing shift to see in the business world. Triple bottom line is becoming more and more prevalent and sustainability is slowly not becoming a buzzword, but actually being taken seriously, especially by bigger brands about how do we you know, integrate, how do we leave the planner a better place than we found it. So that's all been really, really cool to see. And speaking of, you know, impact and your journey with your brand, what is your ultimate goal with Leah Collective? So for me, I, I envision creating minimalist accessories for the modern woman. So I basically came into this with the idea that we can create high quality, well-made goods of natural materials made using ethical and sustainable practices that are going to last the test of time. So it's not something that will be a passing phase or a trend that goes out of style next season. These are really pieces that you can invest in and take care of and will become a solid part of, of your wardrobe for generations, hopefully. In doing that, in designing these kind of pieces, I want to partner with different businesses around the world. So for example, I don't have a history and expert knowledge in the Thai silk industry. So I want to partner with businesses. For example, my production partner is a family-owned business that has been operating for 60 years, and they are the experts in these areas. So there are people that are integral to my supply chain, and you know, it's about treating them like people, like equals, honoring the traditions in which the products have been made, honoring the makers who are making them, and really creating goods that people are going to be able to enjoy. Yeah, 100%. I love that you talk about longevity. And it's so heartwarming to hear that you're trying to design for generations to come. I think that's definitely the true definition of eco-friendly brand because longevity is so important. And we'll definitely talk about your supply chain and your production in a bit just because it is Fashion Revolution Week coming up, which is really exciting. But before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit more about your first collection. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about your silk scarves and how you feel launching right now amidst everything going on? For sure. So when I first started the brand or when I first had the idea for the brand, I wasn't really sure what product I wanted to launch with. I knew I wanted to be in the accessories space because I am a fairly simplistic, minimalist dresser. And I think that accessories are really 
amazing tools where you can change up your wardrobe, make uh, you know a simple black dress look completely different by dressing it up, dressing it down, what, whatever it is. I think accessories are really essential part of any wardrobe. So that was the area that I knew I wanted to dive into, but I didn't exactly know what I wanted the products to look like. When I was still living in Tanzania, I went to Africa Sourcing and Fashion Week in Ethiopia, and I was meeting with different makers and manufacturers from all over the world, but particularly in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and I had some leads, but nothing that I really felt confident in pursuing. Uh, so when I moved to Thailand, I was pretty open-minded about learning about the textile and fashion industry there. And I just kind of fell in love with Thai silk. I pretty quickly had the idea of having a simple silk scarf. And the classic kind of designer silk scarf is a beautiful patterned piece. Any luxury designer brand on the high street sells things like that with very intricate pieces of artwork on their scarves. And I think those are beautiful, but it's not something that I could see myself wearing very often because it's such a statement piece. And for my collection, I wanted something that was really versatile and, you know, you could wear with so many different outfits in so many different ways, because I think that's a really key part to having a sustainable wardrobe, being able to wear your pieces in so many different settings. Um, so I wasn't finding very many silk scarves that were very plain or minimalistic in design or in nature. So that was what I worked to develop. And our first collection, we're starting small. We just have one silk scarf that's launching in three different colorways. So we have uh, like a black color, an ivory cream color, and a champagne. So they're really neutral, minimalist scarves. You can wear them in, you know, 25 different ways and counting as a headband, on a bag, around your neck. There are so many different ways you can wear it. And yeah, so that is kind of what our first collection is, is going to look like. Wow, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to see it. And I love that you talk about all the different ways to wear it because again, that's all about versatility and making the most out of your garments and your accessories. Seems like you spent so many, and we've talked about this, but like you spent so long trying to figure out what you were doing and you met with so many different makers and you've had so many ideas over the years. And so how does it feel now to finally be at the finish line? But, you know, given everything going on, like, do you think that you're still going to be launching full steam ahead or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a really difficult time. I know for not only for small business owners, but for individuals, for families, I know, you know, given the current climate, these are really unprecedented times. That being said, this collection has been in development. Uh, loosely, I've been working on the brand for more than a year and a half, and this specific collection, almost a year, with the planned launch of spring 2020. And I'm also cognizant of the fact that it's not just about me. You know, there are other people in the supply chain or other small business owners that we work with, like photographers and the 
shipping companies and the suppliers of the silk, the small scale farmers, you know, the, the sew shop. So it's not only about my business, but so many others that are being impacted by the global slowdown right now. So I had always planned to launch the brand with a pre-sale and that, you know, for a couple of reasons that helps me get the necessary capital as a small business owner without taking business loans or investors in order to do our first production run. It also helps me gauge the demand uh, for different colors and the product in general. So I'm not producing more inventory with this production run than I need to. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to minimize waste here and keep it close to zero waste as possible. And with all these things considered, I decided that we are going to go ahead with the pre-sale campaign, understanding that there are people who might not be in a position where they can financially support at this time, where they can purchase anything. But in talking to my audience, my supporters, a lot of people support small businesses going ahead with their work and their campaigns. And it's um, a lot of people have said it's a nice distraction at this time. And even if they can't financially support by ordering something, a lot of people are happy to share it or to tag a friend or to pass it along to someone else. So I think all things considered, communities are really coming together to support each other at this time. And you just have to proceed with a degree of sensitivity and understanding that like times have changed and, you know, we're all figuring out this new normal. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Like there's a few things that you said that I really agree with and resonate with. Like the first one being that it's been so great to see the overwhelming amount of support and love that's being shown to small businesses right now, because I think a lot of customers and consumers recognize that it's a really difficult time. So that's been really great to see. And then you also talked about the fact that you talk to your community and to your customer base. I think that's really important as well. Like I often find that brands will sometimes stick their head in the sand and just think about themselves. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still really important to engage your target audience and see what they think. And then last but not least, I also really resonated with the fact that you talked about how your business also employs other people and how they also have been affected. So you almost have this responsibility to also think about them as well. And it's not just about your brand. So yeah, like I think you're approaching this in a really great manner. Pre-sales are definitely a good idea as well, both from a zero waste perspective, like you talked about but also from like a demand perspective too. Um, so you're not sitting on all this inventory. You're getting funding for yourself from your customers. So yeah, like I think you're approaching this in a really great way, given everything going on. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, just taking it day by day and trying to, you know, find the best strategy for us to, to go ahead with it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then I guess it's a little bit different for you just because, you know, you're doing pre-sale and you only have a few garments, but I'm wondering if you have any tips or advice for brands that maybe had like a whole collection plan that they were going to launch or someone that's maybe launching their brand from scratch similarly to you, but they've actually gone and gotten all of the inventory and all of that. Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, things are changing so quickly right now and there's really, there's updates every day. And I think different brands have different situations. Everyone's situation is unique. 
but I think it's no matter who the brand is or what they're doing, I do think it's really important, like you said, to talk to your audience, your supporters, your customers, and gauge how people are feeling. I think if you've made a financial investment and if you have people that are relying on you, employees, then, you know, you, even though there are challenging times right now, you have an obligation to others to do your best to proceed. If you have the ability to pivot or to make some adjustments to your current campaign, that might be the right move for some brands, depending on what they have. But I think it's really a matter of thinking about not just yourself, but going to impact my customers, my contractors, my employees. So just looking at the bigger picture and hopefully making a decision that's not just right for you, but that's, you know, right for your community at large. Yeah. And I think that the point of all of this is that there's no right or wrong answer. It's not black and white. There's lots of shades of gray. For sure. So yeah, I agree. Like ask your community, everyone's situation's different, but uh, proceed with caution and obviously be mindful of everything going on. So going back a little bit, can you tell us more about your supply chain and your partners in Thailand? Absolutely. Uh, So finding partners to work with was a long and difficult process for me. And, um, you know, as someone who was an outsider to the silk industry in Thailand and who doesn't speak Thai, I found it hard to make connections. And at the beginning, I almost didn't even know what exactly I was looking for because I was so new to the industry and I just didn't know, but the more people I talked to and the key things that I was looking for in a partner and what, so the supply chain that I eventually landed on. Um, so it looks like this. So the mulberry is the plant that silkworms feed on and it is grown all over Thailand, uh, in different rural areas. So The supplier that I work with has a network of about 4,000 small-scale farmers spread across the country who grow mulberry and have silkworms feeding on it before winding their cocoons, before building their cocoons. The cocoons are then brought to a factory in Pechaboon, Thailand, and this is the supplier that takes the cocoons and transforms them from the cocoon to silk fiber into silk thread. So then the silk thread is sold to my main production partner. They have a factory in Saraburi where they mill the fabric into the scarf shape. Then they screen print using a water-based ink onto the scarf and it's sent to their sew shop which is still part of the same uh, family-owned business in bangkok they finish the hems so they do the hand-rolled hem around the scarf and sew on the labels and then quality control and it's then shipped to me so i had a chance to meet with people all along the supply chain um, to see all of this in person and you know these partners were 
handpicked by me after visiting with countless different makers and manufacturers and factory owners, um, business owners all across the country. And it is a much longer process than people realize, but it's, I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to live there and to really get to know it firsthand. Yeah. And for someone that's not, you know, intricately involved in the industry, I often find it so eye-opening to hear how many steps and how many hands a garment or an accessory can touch. Like and in your example, it comes from silkworms and from the mulberry trees. And then all of a sudden it's turned into this beautiful scarf. So I always think it's really eye-opening to hear kind of the intricacies and the behind the scenes of producing a garment or an accessory. But I was wondering if you could also share, like, since you did meet with so many makers and people along the supply chain, what made you choose who you're working with? For sure. So there were lots of different factors. Some of it was based on, you know, the quality of the silk that they produce. There are different types of silk. There are lots of different types of silk, um, both within Thailand and around the world. And certain types of silk are, wouldn't be suitable for a scarf product because they would be too heavy or not flexible enough. Certain types of silk are made from the short staple fibers, so kind of the leftover pieces, and the and resulting textile wouldn't last as long. So it wouldn't have the same longevity as the products that I was looking for. On a more logistic side of things. Some of the makers that I met with didn't speak English at all. And, you know, my tie was very limited. So if I wanted to work with them, I would have to employ a translator or a middleman. So that was an option that I considered at one point. But in doing that, I realized that I would likely have to raise the price. And of course, there are always complications if you're not working directly with your supplier, if you have to go through a third party. Um, there can be things that get miscommunicated or lost in translation. So I felt that it would be probably easiest if I could simplify the supply chain and work directly with the suppliers. So that meant working with businesses that had at least one employee who could speak English, since my tie was not good enough, of course, to, to do business. Um, and also businesses that were willing to export their products to ship them to me uh, if I, when I was no longer living in Thailand because some makers only want to produce silk domestically. It can be a very closed industry and you know it can be hard to break into. And, and some people, they uh, do great business already within the country, so um, weren't interested in expanding abroad. So there were a lot of different kind of factors in the process, and these weren't things that I uh, necessarily knew or thought about at the beginning, but as time went along and I was meeting with all these different people, realizing that, all right, this is the kind of silk that I need, uh, this is the kind of quality I'm looking for, these are the different factors that I am searching for in a, in a partner, and then I, I just landed on, uh, you know, businesses that were the perfect fit for all of those different points. 
Yeah, and every business will be different, but it's all about, to your point, figuring out what's important to you and then measuring a bunch of different partners against that. I think that's a good way to go about it. And then for people that really want to work with someone that's ethical and conscious and treats their workers with the respect and care that is deserved, like, do you have any tips there on how to navigate through maybe some shady business practices or through this process? Did any of that happen while you were looking for production partners? Yeah, I mean, I, I started off the process by trying to search for suppliers that had certifications already, you know, internationally recognized certifications, like, for example, GOTS, the Global Organic Textile Standard. So there are two suppliers in Thailand that do have that certification. And I met with both of them. One of them I am working with. They are the supplier that, you know, transforms the cocoon into the silk thread for me. The other one, they have the the certification, but the type of silk that they produce isn't right for making scarves for what I was looking for. There are other certifications as well that are unique to Thailand. So they are national certifications. Um, So they wouldn't be recognized internationally, but I was looking for businesses that had those certifications as well. And I think those could be a good indicator, although, of course, different certifications measure different things. Some certifications would look at energy use at a facility, whereas others would look at pay, whereas others would look at the finished product. What is the quality of the textile like? And this is kind of, it's, it's a really complicated thing. And it's, it's difficult to kind of wade through all of the different requirements and paperwork and certifications. And ultimately, what I realized is that just because a business had a, has a certification in one area doesn't mean that they are perfect in other areas. And on the flip side, just because a business doesn't have any certifications doesn't mean that they're not operating in a model way that would merit a certification. So I think certifications are a great starting point when trying to understand how a business operates and how it practices, but I think it's not the whole picture. So it gave me a great place to go from, but then I still want to, you know, see things in person and ask questions and and meet people so I can understand it more fully. Because I think people like to paint things in black and white, you know, this business is perfect and this business isn't, but really there are a lot of shades of gray in there and it takes just Uh, taking the time and and getting to know businesses and how they operate and people and how they operate in order to to really understand. Totally agree with you. We talked a lot already about shades of gray, but I think that is especially prevalent in the supply chain and the production industry. So yeah, like I think certifications are a good place to start. And then to your point, meeting with them, making sure that they can produce to the quality that you want, that they're within your budget. Like those are all things that can help people narrow it down. And just out of curiosity, how did you come up with the name Leah Collective? Yeah, that's something I often get asked. And it is kind of 
unusual uh, and something that a lot of people don't, uh, you know, they haven't heard the word before, they don't know how to pronounce it. But the name Lia, it actually comes from the Ethiopian girl's name, Lia. And I had the idea because a lot of the beginning of my brand, the research stage, happened when I was at Africa Sourcing and Fashion Week and Addis Ababa Fashion Week in Ethiopia. So at that stage, I was just talking to different people about different names for the brand and what I wanted it to represent, kind of minimalism and versatility, but also neutrality and Leah is it's it's an Ethiopian name uh, that's why it was suggested to me but it's also a name in many other cultures it has meaning in in Hindi and Arabic you know it, it's similar to girls names in in French and Spanish and in English the name Leah so it just it just came to me at when I was at that stage of the journey and it just kind of fit with the direction I was going for and kind of the, the feeling I had about the brand. So yeah, it's kind of just a reminder of the origin story. I think that's really interesting that that name is in so many different cultures. And I, I also feel like it speaks to the movement and almost the collective of girls that you're trying to foster in the community you're trying to build. So yeah, I think it's a really cool fit. So let's talk a little bit about your travels. I'm curious to hear why you decided on the locations that you did, and then also if you have any tips about working and running a business while abroad. All of the different areas that I've moved kind of had each had their own reason. A lot of them was because of the opportunity that was there. Uh, so I had, you know, I. I was interested in traveling to Spain when I was in school because I was learning Spanish in university in Taiwan. I went to work at, at schools there because I had a friend who was a connection that recommended me for a position uh, and I was interested in learning Mandarin. In Tanzania, we found a nonprofit. Um, my partner and I moved there together and we found a nonprofit that was looking for someone to do both marketing and fundraising as well as to teach at their primary school. And my partner is a teacher, so it was a good fit for me to do marketing and fundraising and him to teach. And it was also just an amazing opportunity uh, to live in East Africa and learn Swahili and you know really explore that part of the world. Thailand as well. It was the opportunity uh, to work on the international development project. And my partner and I actually moved to Costa Rica because he got a job at an international school here, but I have the ability to work online. So working online is something that I have been developing for the past couple of years. And um, I think it's really, I'm so grateful to be able to do it, especially in this day and age where so many people are forced to work from home, uh, which might be completely new to them. And I think, you know, being able to work remotely or to travel around while you work or 
to work in in another country is is such a privilege and it's such a blessing. I definitely don't take it for granted. But I think that there are lots of opportunities for people to do that, um, especially in the age of the internet. Just so it just depends on your skill sets, on what you have to offer the world, and you know what tools you can use, like conference calling software, or video sharing software, or social media to transfer those skills, you know, into an online setting. I think it's, yeah, a great opportunity and, and it's something I, I feel very grateful to have had uh, over the past several years. And, but yeah, I, I really think that more people can and should explore it if they have the ability to do so. Mm -hmm. And to your point right now, a lot of people are being kind of forced to work from home and this might be the first time ever. So do you have any productivity tips or how do you manage your time to be most effective? So I have been working from home on and off for about three and a half years now. And definitely at the beginning, it was tough. And there are still some days that it's going to be tough, that you're not focused, that you get distracted by things. But I think having that routine in place is so helpful. So for me, you know, it's really important to have a morning routine. And luckily, I have a dog. So having a dog means that he needs to go out in the morning. So that gets me up, gets me out of bed, and I'm able to take a walk while I listen to a podcast, walk my dog in the morning. You know, I make sure in the morning that I'm doing things like stretching, I'm drinking water and coffee. I get dressed every day, of course, because I'm taking my dog outside. Um, so I'm doing all of these things. Uh, for probably an hour or two before I even think about sitting down at my computer. And I think that's something that's really important if you're working from home to have a separation between work and home life. So I have my, my morning ritual that's just for me, and then I'm ready to open up my laptop and sit down to get ready for work for the day. And I also think it's important to take breaks in there. So I try to break for lunch, like not eat in front of the computer, take a stretch break or a yoga class in the middle of the day to mix things up or just have that kind of separation. And if you're able to, to uh, have a, you know, designated workspace, I think that's, that's really helpful as well. Unfortunately, my apartment isn't big enough that I can have a, a separate room for working. Um, so I'm working on the kitchen table. But, you know, this is my designated workspace during working hours. I find I'm not productive if I'm bringing my laptop to work in bed or something. Um, I'm not saying it never happens, but I know that I do my best work when my laptop is set up in my working space, which is my kitchen table for me. So just kind of creating those boundaries for yourself, um, creating that routine, that schedule based on your specific situation and, and needs, it, it really helps in order to kind of establish this sense of normalcy and to build it into your life in a, in a healthy way. 
That's awesome. And I think that'll be really helpful for people because to your point, I feel like a lot of people are just sitting down, powering through the whole day, and then all of a sudden they look up and it's dark out and it's like your whole day has blown by. Kind of funny, I've heard a lot of people say that the days feel really, really fast and they never really know what day it is. And I, yeah, it's just weird because I always thought the time would fly by slower just because we're always in the same spot and we're just kind of doing the same thing. But it's been definitely an adjustment, um, both for myself and some of my clients. But I think those tips will really help. Like you talked about boundaries, which I think is really important. Having some sort of routine in the morning and I assume also in the evening that's just for yourself. And yeah, I think that will help the work life not bleed into your personal life. Yeah. And it's especially important like right now to, to have that separation and, you know, not only for your mental health, but your physical health, like, you know, your emotional well-being as well to be able to shut off at the end of the day and kind of go into your restful state or, you know, self-care, like just to have that separation. Yeah, totally. Wrapping up here a little bit, but do you have any last tips or words of advice for slow fashion brand owners and also for consumers that want to support conscious fashion? Yeah. uh, So I think my biggest piece of advice would be to just, you know, take it one step at a time. When I first started learning about the industry, it was all so overwhelming because I just dove in head first and, you know, there's so much to learn. There's so much change that you might feel inspired to make, or on the flip side, you might feel, you know, bogged down by the weight of it all and that you want to upend your entire wardrobe to purchase everything new uh, that's sustainable. But that's not the best way to do it. Um, You know, the most sustainable things are what's already in your closet. And it's about just taking things one day at a time. The next time you purchase uh, an article of clothing, the next time you need an article of clothing, maybe that you choose to purchase from a sustainable brand. For a sustainable brand owner, it's about just doing the best you can and, and constantly trying to improve being transparent with your customers where you're at in the journey and um, always staying educated about the, the way the industry is moving and, you know, what's coming down the pipeline because you never know uh, what might hit uh, like the, the current situation we're all facing. So I think my best tip is just to take things day by day, one piece at a time and, you know, we'll, we'll all get there together. <laughs> it's about imperfect action. Yes, I love that. Imperfect action, taking little steps that all accumulate and snowball. So yeah, I totally agree with you. And last but not least, how can everyone support Leah Collective? Where can they find you? I'll have all your links in the show notes as well. But do you want to just do a quick blurb on all your handles and things like that? Absolutely. So we are at leahcollective.com. Leah is L-I-Y-A. And on all social media, we're at Leah Collective. So in April, we have our pre-sales collection 
ready uh, for you to order, to purchase. We're going to have a lot of exciting things going on with our pre-sales campaign. So just come say hi. Um, I'd love to talk and just make connections with other people who are interested in sustainable fashion. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your tips and sharing your story today. I know it's definitely an unprecedented time like you talked about, but really appreciate it and wishing you all the best and luck with your pre-sale launch. I can't wait to see what happens. Thank you so much, Lena. And that was today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed our interview with Deanna. And again, as always, if you did, make sure you tag us at Recloseted and also tag Deanna at Leah Collective. If you haven't already, Also, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes are automatically downloaded every time they are released. Lastly, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a positive rating and review if you think we deserve it. That helps us get found and then we can really help further our sustainable fashion message. Thanks for listening and together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.